While fleeing Apaches, this gentleman from Virginia found a strangely shimmering cave. When he entered it, he discovered his body had somehow split in two. One form lay dead on the cave floor, while the other was mystically transported through time and space to the planet Mars. Stan Lee presents Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter, Warlord of Mars. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 123, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, Issue 22, Climb to Freedom, Issue 23, The Man Who Makes Murder, and Issue 24, Betrayal. Hello and welcome back, time travelers, to the comic book Time Machine. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here to transport us back in time to 1978 to talk about John Carter, Warlord of Mars. And I am, this is a a new style, a bold new direction. If this was a comic book with a splash little caption on it, it would say bold new direction. Because I realized that I was not doing that many comic book time machine episodes and one of the things i realized about it was because i kind of trapped myself and i've talked about this before i kind of trapped myself in the style of what i'm doing with this cataloging every issue one by one by one by one by one i don't want to give up the cataloging every issue it's just the one by one by one by one by one thing that's kind of killing me and it, it just caused me to say, I I can't do this. I can't do this. And it it just wasn't on the forefront and it wasn't on the forefront. And, you know, podcasting, especially, you know, podcasting like this, where you're just doing it as a hobby, it's for fun. It's for me to be able to talk with people who hopefully like to, you know, listen to (laughs) podcasts about really old comics. I mean, this is 1978, December 1978 for one of these issues. And then we're going to move into 1979 for the other two with uh, January release date for uh, John Carter, number 23. And John Carter, number 24 is February 1979. But we're talking about some extremely old comics. And I enjoy talking about that kind of thing. And I know that there are people out there who enjoy listening to that kind of thing. And it's a small niche. I I really believe that it's just a small niche. And I don't care because I enjoy it. But I wasn't enjoying how I was doing it. And I wanted to get back to a place where I could enjoy it again. And one of the things I realized is that when I was reading just one issue at a time, and then talking about one issue at a time, It just broke things up too much for me, and I really had a hard time getting any momentum. And so I decided I'm going to change things up, experiment for a few episodes and see what happens. Also, this would help me get through things faster if I do multiple issues per episode. And so I'm actually going to go ahead and just experiment by by blasting through 
not blasting through, but by going through John Carter, the remaining issues of John Carter, in just uh, two or three episodes. I think it's going to be three episodes, because I'm taking the last six issues of The Master Assassin of Mars and doing that in two episodes. And then I'm going to take the final issue of the series and the annual from the series, and I'm going to talk about uh, those in one episode, I think. And I don't know how you know compressed I'm going to do this. I don't know if I'm going to do it all together in a row. But then I'm going to do the same kind of thing with my other series that I'm that I'm reading through, and kind of go through story arc by story arc, and allow myself to actually sit down and read and enjoy and savor these stories instead of just chopping them up by episode like this. It does change the style of how it looks on the Marvel's Cosmic Cosmic Comics feed because it was going just issue by issue by issue, but I just, I have to switch it up and I don't want to give it up, you know, and so switching it up allows me to read things the way I want to read them. It allows me to present things hopefully in a way that is going to still be enjoyable and I'll still be indexing every single issue. It's just not going to be one episode equals one issue of comics. And actually it kind of goes back almost to the beginning where I was talking about some of the things that happened before Star Wars. And I think I did like 2001. I think I did in, in a chunk of, of episodes. But this is kind of also getting back to that omnibus style of thing that I was doing where I was talking about and doing one episode per month of comics and just kind of really playing into that whole time machine idea going back in time what's on the spinner rack for this month of this year but instead i'm i'm just doing things that are just going to be more convenient for me and you know uh, comic book time machine we pod faded <laughs> a bunch of times but it just keeps coming back and the reason it just keeps coming back is when i get to some comics that i enjoy reading and want to talk about I bring it back. And so like when I last episode on the regular comic book time machine feed was that uh, blind bag that I had and that blind bag was fun. And so I'm going to be pulling out comics that are fun for me to read and talking about them. And that's what I'm doing here. So without any further ado, let's jump into John Carter, Warlord of Mars. <laughs> the problem with what we're doing right now is it's been so long since we've talked about any of these Marvel Cosmics comics that I'm going to have to actually kind of do, I think, a recap. I think we're going to need to do a flashback. Now, I could, there's basically a flashback in every single issue, but uh, chapters one through six of Master Assassin of Mars didn't really feature too much master assassinry <laughs> there was a single assassin attempt assassination attempt against john carter and it was seemingly successful now, this is in chapter one deja thores she left helium because john carter was dead he was dead an assassin killed him the assassin ran away and killed herself because she was going to get captured but she also looked almost exactly like Deja Thoris and so she Deja Thoris said well I'm going to pretend to be her and I'm going to go and infiltrate the, the assassins guild and I'm going to find out who, what the, what the deal is and I'm going to avenge avenge my husband but uh, so she leaves but John Carter he's not dead I mean, we know he's not dead. The series went on. This all takes place between two books of, of Edgar Rice Burroughs' uh, series. And so we know John Carter, 
not dead. But Dejah Thoris didn't know, and so she's off doing her thing. And John Carter goes after her. She He finds her, they're reunited, and it feels so good. And then they crash in this sinister valley surrounded by sinister things. And that brings us to chapter two, where they're attacked by winged people who uh, they take Dejah Thoris, and John Carter then meets a wingless guy from the same city, uh, city-state that they live in. His name is Garthon of, of Caranthor, and he's told that you know, you can come with me. I'll help you find, you know, this this woman. But you have to be like Moses. Now, uh, Gonthor didn't know about Moses, but Moses was uh, when he went before Pharaoh. Not Moses, Abraham, when he went before Pharaoh uh, a couple times, he pretended that his wife was his sister so that he wouldn't get attacked or something like that. I don't know exactly all the motivations there, but he couldn't reveal his relationship to Dejah Thoris. And so then in chapter three, we see that meanwhile Tars Tarkas. John Carter's best buddy, who is a green Martian. Uh, he is doing a trial by combat because they're having a, an argument over how the Tharks should be ruled. Then we come to John, and he ends up, you know, having to leave. Uh, chapter four, John Carter has integrated as a warrior into the military forces of what is an underground world of flying people. <laughs> That's right. They live in a giant cave, but they fly. But the cave is so big that they're able to fly around in it, so it all works out for them. Meanwhile, Dejah Thoris is pretending to be into the guy who has bought her as a slave so she can stall for time. But John Carter doesn't know this, and he sees them together, and she's acting like she likes the guy, and it's, it's bad news for him. And he's upset because everything he does, he does for her. And so in Chapter 5, John Carter and Garthon are heroes in battle, and John Carter is a part of their military might. But his father, Garthon's father, is still just disappointed in him because he really wants to be a poet. If you remember when we were talking about this before, it really reminded me of the, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail thing where I really want to sing. But anyway, Garthon's going to help John Carter get Dejah Thoris, and then they're all going to leave because he has a girlfriend, and his girlfriend is from a lower caste, and it's all, you know, he, he's not happy with where he is. So John Carter rescues Dejah Thoris. They're reunited, and it feels so good, but guards arrive as they're trying to leave. So in Chapter 6, they are caught, and they must do combat in the arena. In the arena, they talk about love, they fight a Bantham, and they win. But then Dejah Thoris is, is shot by the leader of the city with an arrow in her shoulder. And so uh, John Carter confronts him, runs up to get to them, brings Dejah Thoris with him, but she kills the guy and everyone rejoices because they hated him they absolutely hated him but now they're also sad because John Carter and Dejah Thoris have to die for killing him because that's the law that's the rule you can't kill the leader no matter how bad he is so that brings us to chapter 7 with uh, John Carter it's called climb to freedom and we pick up right after the previous issue and this whole thing just hinges on some this is an original story by by Chris Claremont and and there's a lot of coincidences and plot points that are well thought out but don't I don't think work as well as Chris Claremont thought they might you see John Carter and Dejah Thoris are able to escape because the guards who caught them have taken his stuff but they don't realize that his gun is a weapon 
And so he's able to grab that and he's able to use that against them. He doesn't want to kill them because he's fought by their side. You know, this is the law that's the problem, not the people that's the problem. He likes these people. He fought by their side. He doesn't want to kill them. So he and Dejah Thoris run away as he creates a diversion with his radium gun. And then they must climb to escape. So they're climbing the outer wall of this valley kind of place. I thought it was a cave, but I think it actually might be uh, a valley. I can't remember now. And the artwork here and <laughs> what I read today doesn't really reveal, but he has to climb. The problem with what happens is it's the classic trope. And, and this is where, again, it's one of those things where I don't feel like Chris Claremont realized it doesn't play out quite the way he was hoping it, it would. The people that are chasing him, he's jumping from place to place on the cliff, and he's carrying Dejah Thoris. And as they're going, uh, they're being chased by people with wings. These are people who can fly, but they decide to give up. Uh, one of the guys asks, you know, should we follow? And the other guy says, no, call back your men. If John Carter prefers death on the wall around the world to death in the arena, so be it. And they just leave him. They don't send a scout to follow behind and make sure or anything like that. They apparently, you could make the case that they appreciated what he did and they're kind of letting him get away. But that's not at all what's on the page. It's not at all what's presented with their faces or anything with the motivation behind that. And so what really could have brought a lot of tension to the story gets uh, relieved. You know, there's this mad race to get away and John Carter actually stops and gets some equipment. They got some food and some climbing equipment, but instead he's like leapfrogging up the mountain. And so they give up on that whole uh, attention there. And so now it's just them climbing the mountain. And that's what's happening for the next few pages is we're going to have them just climbing the mountain. And any tension that's supposed to arise from this is that Dejah Thoris has been wounded and she has been bleeding. And the wound is not going to be infected because it was taken care of in time. But really, it, it's just, you know, she's weak, getting weaker as they are going up the mountain. And he is worried about her. And so this is one of the problems with stories like this and characters like this is that you know we lose all tension we know these two characters are both going to survive pretty much unharmed by the end of this storyline and so really the only thing you can do to bring any kind of conflict into this situation and not conflict uh but i mean tension is to have other characters and this would have been a great place to bring in garthon and his his girlfriend and have them be a part of this they disappear once they leave, they're gone, you know, and so bring the two of them into things and have them be part of the escape, maybe. I mean, that that would have been a, a great thing because then they could have been, you know, put on the chopping block and they could have possibly been what brings tension to the story and brings consequences to the story. It's the same kind of thing with Conan. It's the same kind of thing with Saturday morning cartoons. You know everything is going to be it's the same kind of thing with Star Trek Voyager. Even you know everything's going to be okay by the end of the episode because you have to do another episode. You have to bring these all, all these characters back. In the case of a TV show like Star Trek Voyager, you bring all the characters back because they sign contracts, and then maybe in between seasons they might go away or something like that. Which is why you had in Star Trek: The Next Generation, you had that great cliffhanger where uh, Patrick Stewart. Captain Picard becomes a Borg is that they weren't sure if they were going to have Patrick Stewart back 
And so they could kill him off in the first episode of season three or season four, season three, season four. I can't remember now, but if they wanted to, they could have, they didn't because he came back and he you know, signed the contract or whatever. It's not the case here <laughs> where you have, um, you know, drawn characters, at, but you can't lose John Carter. You can't lose Dejah Thoris. They have to stay because there is more to their story after this storyline. And so the the climbing sequences are well drawn. They're energetically drawn. I like what I'm seeing here. There's, you know, they're consistent. Uh, you know, I, actually, I should probably talk about our team here. Uh, this is written by Chris Claremont. And the art is by Mike Volsberg, or Vosberg and Rick Villamonte. Um, the letter is Costanza. And the colorist is uh, Sharon. And these are last names. And Roger Stern and Jim Shooter are editors. The one thing that does make the climb interesting and doesn't make me just think of Lost Continent, which I just watched last night on Mystery Science Theater, uh, which, by the way, there's a new app for Mystery Science Theater that allows you to watch every single classic episode, except for a few that they couldn't secure the rights to, like the Godzilla episodes. Every single episode is on that app, and I am loving it. Uh, yesterday I was cooking dinner, watching Mr. Science Theater, happening watching uh, Lost Continent, where the whole movie is padded out by climbing scenes, and you know, Mr. Science Theater is all about pointing things like that out and then making fun of it. What makes this interesting is that the climbing scenes are interrupted by some flashbacks to John Carter's past. For example, at some point in time, he went to Tibet to do mountain climbing, and he was really good at it, although it's been a few years since he's done it. And he actually saw Mount Everest and wanted to climb Mount Everest, but his guides were like, no, nobody can do that. Don't do that. Nobody can do that. And so he wanted to be the first person to do it, but he ended up turning away from it and not doing it. And I really wish that that had actually been more a part of the storyline, too. I feel like there's just so many things... And this is a weakness to 70s comics as well, I think, where there's just, they're churning them out so fast that there's not enough time to really think through what you can do with themes and ideas. And just this idea of John Carter wanting to climb Everest. Well, he wanted to take that challenge. And here he then actually kind of conquers that challenge. But there's no more mention of, of that. Uh, there's another flashback to his life in, as, as, a, as a gentleman in Virginia. And imagining what it would have been like if Deja Thoraz could have walked into uh, a dance w uh, by his side. And however, all eyes would be turned to him and her and that they would all be just so envious. And it was just kind of a neat little way to break things up. And then finally they reach the top. And here we have another little moment where just like, oh, they didn't realize my gun was a weapon so I can keep it. And they and then he runs and grabs it and, and uses it. Well, now they just happen to come up out of this sinister valley where her ship had crashed. And so there's her ship right there. And they're able to to get food and they're able to, you know, change their clothes and and they, they have some cute conversation and it's, you know, talking about what's going on now with them. And she talks about how she still wants to go and find out what's going on because she is a doppelganger for the assassin who killed themselves back in the uh, early issues of the story. And then the Assassin's Guild just happens to show up right where they were. 
the Assassin's Guild, which was trying to kill John Carter in the first place, which is what Dejah Thoris is looking for. And you just kind of take away when you have coincidences. And this is my problem with coincidences. I've talked about this before on different podcasts. I can't remember when and how I've talked about it here on this podcast for Comic Book Time Machine. But coincidences really bother me. I don't like coincidences. You could you get a couple in the beginning to get the story going. But if you're going to use coincidences for your primary plot points like Chris Claremont is doing here, no, you, you they take away from the agency and the actions of your characters. And I don't like that. And so that's one thing as I'm reading this, as much as I'm enjoying the artwork and, and just the vibrancy behind the artwork and the energy behind the fight scenes and the creatures and things like that, although there's one creature that I do have to take issue with, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, as much as I'm enjoying that part of things, I am not liking just this whole coincidence stuff. And then the question is, you know, this is called the the Master Assassin of Mars, but <laughs> it's taken us to Chapter 8 to finally get back to them. Getting to not the subplot, but getting to the plot. Now, I do think I've, I understand why Chris Claremont took so long to get here. The idea is what their because we find out about the Master Assassins Guild and what their plan is. It's they want to kill the leaders of Helium and take over and put a puppet leader in charge of Helium so that the, the Assassins Guild can do whatever they want and not have to worry about any kind of reprisal from the government, so to speak. And so that's a great plan. And this gets John Carter, Dejah Thoris, and Taris Tarkas out of the city, out of Helium, out of the way so they can do their plan. Okay, but we spend five issues in its own storyline. That whole thing is meant to be a subplot, and that that whole storyline here is called The Master Assassin of Mars, but we really could have taken time with these winged people that remind me of like a Flash Gordon kind of thing where I, I don't remember what I was reading, but I remember reading Flash Gordon comics in my middle school library and just how there was just kind of these different lands, you know, different places where, you know, well, here's the lion people and here's these people and here's these people. And that's always stuck with me as a really interesting and fun way of, of you know, creating, you know, world building, not necessarily the most sophisticated but it it works and here you could have had this adventure you know and it could have been its own thing but instead it was just a you know five chapter aside taking us to the point where Dejah Thoris who is a character with agency she is a woman of action and here she is trying to do her action and getting sidetracked and and pulled and pushed and everything but when she finally you know reaches her goal it's just a coincidence they just happen to show up (laughs) this wasn't the kind of thing where she says i am determined to find them and then they go and they find them this is the kind of thing where she's like i'm determined to find them john carter you're not going to stop me and he says oh i don't know about that oh oh they're here i I guess i'm not (laughs) so i i I have problem with that kind of storytelling so now we're into the actual plot here. And they're captured between issues. I shouldn't say they're captured. John Carter is captured. Dejah Thoris is not captured because they still think that she's the assassin. She looks so much like the assassin. Her plan is actually working. And so she is being, she's just 
standing with the bad guys and he is captured by the bad guys. He does fight, get away, and take Dejah Thoris with him, not to rescue her, but to find out what's going on. And so we have this weird scene where there's this telepathic link that they're able to use that John Carter has learned. And he doesn't want anyone to uh, to eavesdrop the telepathic link. So he tells her, think in English so that anyone who is who's able to tap into our, our ESP, they can't understand. It'll be just gibberish to them. And I'm just thinking to myself while they're up there, why don't they just talk in English? And then they don't have to worry about like telep- tele- telepathic people down below who might be tapping in. Uh, it, it's just kind of a weird, kind of silly kind of idea. But they fake fight up on the the mast of this uh, flying ship, which in long shots, uh, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're a mast there. This is an enormous ship, though. And so they're fake fighting, and he's finding out what's going on. And basically what happened is, uh, on the wedding night of their anniversary, he sees through her eyes, I saw myself drink the poison, then collapse in agony. I felt her grief, her fury, and she took my war sword and went seeking my assassin, her handmaiden, Daria. They fought, and Daria, wounded, facing capture, chose to take her own life. Deja kept news of Daria's death secret. And while preparations were made way for my state funeral, she and Sola searched the woman's quarters. They found more than she bargained for, plans for an eminent coup d'etat against her grandfather, Tardis Moore's Jedic of Helium. It was a daring, ruthless scheme. At one blow, every member of Helium's ruling family was to be slain to be replaced by a puppet ruler loyal to the guild. So she basically knows now that there are a ton of assassins in their government. She couldn't trust anyone, so that's why she went off on her own. She couldn't trust anyone, so she went off to discover the identities of the killers. So, yeah. (laughs) But while they have that connection, he also discovers something he wasn't supposed to know. And in these three issues here that I read, they don't reveal the thing that he finds. But I think I know what it is. I think she's expecting... And she knows it, but he doesn't know it. And now he does know it because he used the telep- tele- telepathic link. I keep stumbling over that word, telepathy. Telepathic link using telepathy. So he falls off the mast because he's so startled by this, and they're shooting at him, and he falls. And he survives, but uh, they still think Deja Thoris is one of the bad guys. She's one of them. But she does have to face a trial by combat because she failed to assassinate John Carter. Meanwhile, as he is led away, he goes past all their training and sees what they're doing. And he realizes they are just like Japanese ninja. They use deceit. They use skills, fighting skills. And uh, they are his equal with the sword. And some may be better. And then he sees a group of women as well. And this group of women, they are the ones who are to be Deja Thoris's trial by combat. And she has to fight all four of them. And they have armor on. And she just has leather on. But she wins, <laughs> even though she still has a wound. And then the Master Assassin of Mars is finally here. And he's actually, you know, a part of this. And he is the only one who recognizes her for who she is. But he doesn't want to reveal it to anyone, not yet. And so she's going to now have to do the trial of combat against one. And that one is a green Martian. 
huge, muscular. And this is one of the greatest looking Tharks uh, as far as the art style goes. And it's the same team who did this issue as it did the previous issue. Uh, I love it. You know, it's just, he's muscular, he's huge, he has these extra arms and extra pecs, but it's compact, and he's wearing a mask, and so we don't really know who he is. Well, we're going to find out on the first couple of pages here of issue number 24. But before we talk about issue number 24, I want to talk about the covers for these three stories. And issue number 22, the cover is okay. (laughs) It's very much okay. Uh, It actually has a thing that I missed as I was talking about that issue is that you see these white hands reaching out for John Carter and Dejah Thoris. That's because there was a great ape, a white ape that he fights and he fights it right when they ran out of food and knocks down off the cliff, but they weren't going to be able to eat him then and would have been good eating. But um, they're climbing up. The ground is way, 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 way down below them and they look terrified because of something that's above them. And it's a it's a it's a decent one. There's there's drama there. Uh, on the cover says what lurks at the end of Carter and Deja's thor- treacherous eight mile climb from the Canyon of Despair, and we know now what lurks there. But uh, decent cover, but you know it it shows you what's what's going to happen. They're going to climb. The next one, issue twenty three, has Deja Thoris and John Carter up on the mast. This is a wooden mast instead of a, a metal mast, but they're fighting and it's a very swashbuckling looking cover and you know it's again this is what's going to be inside but the cover to issue number 24 on Swamp Things episodes I talk about is the cover and I talk about the creature when when I judge those Swamp Monster comics is the creature good? is the content good? and is the cover good? and when I say is the cover good I mean is it poster worthy? This cover of John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 24, is poster worthy. If I had a wall of comics, which I've thought about doing, where you can you know, hang comics in like these little pouches kind of a thing, or in little frames, this would be one that I would love to have displayed on that wall of comics. You have Tars Tarkas, you have John Carter, you have Dejah Thoris, and it's a Star Wars-style pose that they are doing. It's bold and it's it's exciting and they're facing off getting ready for battle who are they getting ready for battle against well actually Dejah Thoris is not just getting ready for battle she is taking part in battle she's shooting she's firing her gun John Carter's waiting for them to come Tars Tarkas has his arms ready to go and it's interesting I think that this is definitely a, a situation where they are trying to play up the connection to the science fantasy stuff out there the the, the Star Wars stuff that's out there now, this is from February 1979, so it's been a couple of years. They've they've had their opportunity to play up the Star Wars stuff, but this is the first time where I've seen a cover where I'm just, like, blown away. There's a star background, and there's a circle of white in the middle that draws your attention right to it. This is, I want to say, one of, if not the best, John Carter cover from, from all of the, the issues. Now, there's some good covers. There's some good, you know, energetic battle covers that are happening, but this is the best one. Then there's a whole bunch of text on there. I don't care. Like I would still put this up as a poster, even with the text. It says, uh, just going down from top to bottom, Marvel comics group, you have the comics code authority. And then it says Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter, warlord of Mars, 
from the creator of Tarzan comes science fantasy's mightiest heroes. Witness the excitement as John Carter, Dejah Thoris, and Tars Tarkas battle for their lives against the master assassin of Mars, and then it has the title of the chapter even, Betrayal. Now, just change the costuming of the characters, and this cover could be any issue of John Carter, Warlord of Mars, but this was created for this issue. They are wearing the same costumes that they were wearing in this issue, but also one of the reasons why I think this is one of the greatest covers is that this cover was drawn by George Perez, (laughs) and it shows. This is a beautiful, beautiful cover. You've got Tars Tarkas wearing the helmet that he was wearing, the armbands that he was wearing in the previous issue. So if you're paying attention, you now know that the Green Martian that Dejah Thoris was supposed to fight in the trial combat by one is Tars Tarkas. (laughs) So they give it away on the cover, but it's still a great little moment, and I didn't notice. As I was reading along, I turned the page. I'm in my omnibus, which is my current time machine, this John Carter Warlord of Mars omnibus. I turn the page. It says, next issue, Betrayal on Barsoom. And I've seen him show up. He's wearing the armbands. He's wearing the helmet. I turn the, He's wearing purple boots and purple trunks. I turn the page and I look at the cover and I'm like, wow, this is an amazing cover. And I spent some time just staring at this cover. And it is an amazing cover. And then you move into the issue. And then I realize, oh, John Carter recognizes his fighting style. I wonder why he recognizes his fighting style. Oh, then John Carter literally says, I recognize his fighting style because I recognize him. It's Tars Tarkas. <laughs> so, my bad. <laughs> Definitely my bad. So anyway, um, yeah, so they fight. They fight a little bit, and he's pulling his punches, and John Carter recognizes the fighting style and recognizes that he's pulling his punches, and he knocks down Dejah Thoris, but doesn't kill her. And then he turns to go after John Carter, calls John Carter. Oh, let's see. Let me read it here. Dotar Sojat, your time has come. Well, that is a clue that he has a plan. And so he's able to allow John Carter to escape. They run away. And uh, Dejah Thoris, again, she is a woman of action. She just acts. She fights. She she's uh, she's a Disney princess technically but she doesn't get the credit for being one so anyway the tables are turned Uh, the only problem I have with all this is we have basically the same team of artists we do change our letterer we have R. Parker as a letterer it's not Costanza anymore but I don't know why they do this but Tars Tarkas changes from one style of body to another throughout the book. And I'm wondering if there was actually different artists doing different pages here. On the cover, George Perez, he's got it. It's the style I like. But on the splash page, I hate this style. And I, I believe I remember them using the style of, of body in the DC John Carter comics. But the style of you have legs, torso, and then second torso where the head would be, and then another head. And so you have these two torsos, and it just makes for this really long, elongated body. And I don't like it. I don't like the look. But then they move back to it. And even on the next page, page two, I guess maybe they didn't draw it the way I like it in the first panel. 
uh, because of the angle, it just kind of looks like they did. No, no, in that first panel, they, they didn't. It's two torsos. But the second panel, he's got his arms, his his second pair of arms, that, that lower pair, is right underneath his first pair, his top pair. And they switch. It's like his body grows a torso every every other panel. There's a new torso, and then it shrinks down, and then it's back. Uh, page two, three, four, page four, panel one, two torsos. He, he looks like a running man with a, with a weird hat. <laughs> that weird hat is another torso with arms and a sword. But then the next panel that you see him, it's it's just he's got that shorter body, that more compact body. And I don't understand what was going on here. I can't believe that it was a single artist. It is possible that it was switched you know, in the inking stage. I just don't know. But I do find it inconsistent. And it's it's throughout the whole thing <laughs> where this is happening. Uh, I used to say with Star Wars, Darth Vader is hard to draw. Well, Tars Tarkas, I guess, is hard to draw. So anyway, um, <laughs> they do escape. And they send Dejah Thoris back to Helium in the fastest ship that they can steal. It seems like John Carter and Tars Tarkas have also gone, but they actually have remained behind and they're doing a Death Star thing. They are crawling around and they are hiding from the bad guys and they are there to cause problems for the bad guys' schemes as the, the bad guys' ship is heading toward Helium. But Dejah Thoris goes back and she is captured by people back at Helium. And that is a problem because the people back at Helium think she's the assassin. And she actually says, my deception cut both ways. <laughs> but then you find out that one of the people who was actually saying she's the assassin was part of the guild and knew that she was not. And he takes her down to a dungeon, chains her up, and you have the best line. So we have the best cover and the best line in all of John Carter comics. She gets angry. She is not happy that she's been chained up in this dungeon. She's going to be left for dead. And uh, he says, this is the lead up. He says, you've done far better than any of the anticipated princess. A pity your valiant effort must end like this. But a new order is coming to Helium, to all Barsoom. And if we are to succeed, we must be merciless. Morden would have my head on a pike if he knew what I was doing. Had he captured you, he would have slit your throat at the first opportunity. I, however, have a more artistic soul. Again, you got bad guys just making bad choices. If you really want to get rid of someone and you're going to be as merciless as you say you are, uh, she's not going to die. Now, he doesn't know that. She doesn't know that. But he says, I have a more artistic soul. And she lashes out at him with the best insult in all of John Carter comics. Ancestorless scum, you have the soul of a maggot. And I love that so much. So, so much. Chris Claremont is a talented writer. He is a talented writer. There are times when you're reading Marvel comics from the 70s, even the 80s, and even now sometimes. Uh, any comics, really, where you just have things happening, happening, happening. It's just uh, events, event, event, event. And it's just to have, you know, action. And it's to have conflict. And it's to have... Um, you know, tension, and it's to have uh, just give people things to do. <laughs> well, I, I feel like Chris Claremont is trying for more here. He's doing a 12-issue series within, a 12-issue maxi-series within the regular book here, and you gotta, you gotta appreciate him for that. But... <laughs> 
there are times when I'm just like, okay, so you just need to get to the assassins quickly. And so you just have the assassins show up. No, you should have not spent the time mountain climbing. Have them escape quickly and then go back on their mission, back on the path. Let Deja Thoris find them. Give her that moment. But instead, nope, they accidentally find us when we accidentally find her ship. <laughs> and I've been there. I've been there. There's two things that I look back on in the comic writing that I've done that I regret because actually three now that I think of it where I just I I get to the end and I'm like, oh, I got to cram so much into here. And so you just make it happen real quick. And instead of going back and readjusting all the earlier pages, and I really wish I hadn't done that. One of them was from the, the book Kingdoms, and it just ends first first volume of that book. And it ends with these really small panels, really compressed story. And I'm just... I regret that. I regret that. Another one was in the Hedge Knight, where I wish I saved more time and had more room for the dialogue, and instead we cram all the dialogue into one page. And this is the same kind of thing with Chris Claremont, I think, where he just didn't have time to really play out things what he wanted to. But he does make these classic mistakes that you have in every commercial break, you know. And and James Bond, they don't kill him. You know, Batman, they they throw him in the machine and then they leave. You know, and that's what's happening here. He's chaining her up. He's going to leave. But it's a wonderful splash page at the end where she's confronting death. You have these rat creatures that are coming after her. Uh, when the when her torch goes out, they will come because they hate the light. They're scared of the light, and she's going to die. And I think this is actually a great place for me to end my episode is with this issue. Uh, the, the one thing that I wish I had this issue instead of in my omnibus is that it ends with this. Next, is this the end? See our letters page for an important message. So it ends on this really huge cliffhanger. She is trapped, buried alive, you know, um, trapped in this dungeon, chained up, facing death. The rat creatures are there. And then it says, next, is this the end? See our letters page for an important message. A lot of times that important message is signaling a cancellation. Now here's the thing. Just like in John Carter comics, you know right now that my cliffhanger where I say, is this the end? Will there be more John Carter comics? You know there's more coming. You know my cliffhanger means nothing right now. You know it's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> but I do love ending here. So this is where we're going to stop. We are going to, uh, at some point in the near future, cover the next three issues. And you know it's going to be the, you know why it's going to be in the near future because honestly I want to read this and also Daniel Butcher thank you you told me I can do it however I want and so that's what I'm doing <laughs> and, uh, I guess if I was getting you know paid on a weekly basis to produce a specific thing then I wouldn't do it this way but I'm I'm not being paid on a weekly basis to produce a specific thing I'm a hobby podcaster who really enjoys talking about this stuff really enjoys reading this stuff but I was losing the joy and it's been a long 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 time let's see how long has it been since the last episode of comic book time machine marvel cosmic comics April 2022 actually not as long ago as I thought <laughs> but still it's been a while so I want to thank you so much for spending time with me for talking about cool comics with me and just for you know traveling back, back, back in time. Until next time, thanks for listening, and Godspeed. 
Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. 